It's an amazing world. In an instant, you can shop for a trombone, check on weather, and meet new friends. That is, if you can access the Internet. NVDA is a free screen reader that helps people who are blind or visually impaired get online. The American Foundation for the Blind tells you how with Learn NVDA. Free video lessons that teach technology for work and play. Launch your tech adventure. Learn more at www.afb.org slash learn NVDA. I match your shirt for your date tonight. Are you dying to know what's in the picture one of your friends sent you? What are the heating instructions for your dinner tonight? Give the Bespecular app a try. Bespecular is an awesome new app on iOS and Android specifically developed for the visually impaired and deafblind. The Bespecular app is a fun, quick, and easy way to get answers to your everyday situations. Download the Bespecular app on the App Store or Play Store today. Want an awesome prize? Download the Bespecular app and come on over to Booth 38 to see if you want a prize. All right. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the 55th Annual Convention of the American Council of the Blind right here on ACB Radio Live event. We're going to get going underway very shortly with the Information Access Committee 411 workshop. Brian Charlson will be hosting this, and uh, we've got a quite a bit of uh, people coming in the room now and we're going to be underway at 1.15 p.m. Central Time. That's 2.15 p.m. Eastern. And later on this afternoon we'll have the Resource Development Committee Easy Money Workshop. And all that is just the surface. Uh, we've got a lot to go as we have a very packed 2016 ACB Conference and Convention here at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I'm going to go ahead and bring up the house, and we'll be getting underway shortly. Welcome, everybody, to the 2016 ACB convention. It has to have a, two minutes to do its thing. My tap is ready. That's connected. Now I'm getting my computer connected, reconnected, so that everything worked out. What time is it? The time is two o'clock. Yeah.
front of the room, so that, that's okay. Go around my right and oh, straight right? up the center aisle. Yes. I'm, I'm setting up computers, so if I seem distracted, that's what I'm up to. For those of you that may not have heard, while we're still waiting for Brian to get computers set up up there at the podium, we have a new feed this year, ACB Events, so replays. Carl Richardson and Peggy, would you both join me up here? Okay. (laughs) The ACB Events feed, you can get the archives as we make them available, as we uh, get them prepped after today's sessions. We'll have the the IAC, the RDC... And also, we're recording a Leadership Institute uh, workshop, and those will be available later this evening. Uh, they will be replaying on ACB Radio Live. If anybody needs their assistive listening device adjusted, please uh, let me know. I'm up here at the podium. My name is Byron. And uh, we'll have them on that feed as well. So to subscribe to it, the URL is http colon slash slash acbradio.org slash acb dash events dot xml. You can catch that with any of your podcatching devices. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're going to get started. We're running just a little late. One minute till showtime. I'm not doing all that bad. 
I'll tell you, though, if you saw my shirt, you know that I've been sweating bullets up here for the past 15 minutes. Anybody who's ever done anything on technology knows it's not if it will go wrong, it's how frequently it will go wrong. And yet, in spite of that, we nonetheless are excited about what technology can do for us and occasionally what it it does to us. So... This is Information 411. This is an annual event that we hold at the ACB convention where the Information Access Committee attempts to bring the membership up to date on what's going on. We do so with the understanding, hopefully of you and certainly of us and our lawyers, that there are some things that we're engaged in that under non-disclosure agreement we can't get very specific about. This is one of the downsides, if you will, of a litigious society. I just love to throw that word litigious in. It makes it sound like I know what I'm talking about. My difficulty is I've got my laptop here. I'm trying to hover over a laptop to this mic. Oh, that's really good. And then I'll send you my chiropractic bill when it's all over, okay? So, at this point, what we're going to attempt to do is inform you about what ACB's been about relative to information access. I kind of like to pull this together as a day in the life of a blind tech user. And that pretty much means all of you are fair game in this discussion because you're blind tech users, right? Nobody out there is not using tech in one form or another. So when I packed to come to this convention, it may have been similar to when you packed to come to this convention. I have to take clothes, you know, things like that. My toothbrush, things like that. Yeah, thank, Carl says, thank you for bringing your clothes this time, Brian. Anyway, so in addition to that, I've got to pack the tech, which means lots and lots of chargers of different types. Wouldn't be nice if we could all get together and say a charger is a charger is a charger, but it's not. Then I have to pack which computer? It used to be it's I'm packing the computer, but this time I packed three computers. Because in the world of technology, it's going to become harder and harder to stick with one ecosystem. In fact, probably you already are using two. You probably, not definitely, don't get your backs up yet, you probably are using Windows as your primary desktop computer operating system. But I bet you a lot of you are also walking around with iPhones. So you're working in two different ecosystems at the same time. So I brought my laptop computer that I'll be doing part of this presentation from. It's a standard Windows Windows 10 operating system on this device. It's an HP that I'm using. I like it, even though it's a little big for me to lug around because it comes with the numeric keypad. And being primarily a JAWS user, that kind of comes in handy. I also brought with me another Windows 10 system, but this is a Surface computer. Have many of you seen a Surface? Okay, so it's this really bizarre... I'm reaching over to it. It's a really bizarre system in that it doesn't know if it's a tablet or a computer. So I'm holding it in my arms here, holding it as if I'm holding an open laptop computer. The screen is delightful, but in addition to being a screen, it's a touch screen. 
Okay? So I get the joys of that experience. And folding down from it is its keyboard, which is nearly flat as a piece of paper. And it takes a little getting used to new keyboards, doesn't it? Especially if it's hard to tell where one key ends and the next begins. And that's this kind of keyboard. And of course, it has that lovely touch surface between you and the space bar that you want to be very careful not to brush up against or your focus will definitely be changed. And when you don't want to take all of this with you, all you do is tear them apart. Now I've got the tablet screen in one hand and the keyboard in the other because they're connected magnetically along that seam. And it's just as easy for me to resume that connection by getting them close, and there, it snapped on. And so I've closed that device. So that's the second one I brought. Why did I bring this? This is part of my responsibilities with ACB as Information Access Committee Chair. We're working with Microsoft on what Windows will look like by January 1. What Office 365 will look like by January 1 what narrator and magnifier will look like come when? January 1. So this is one of those things, you know, I don't know about you. When some, say again? <laughs> what year, yeah. So this is one of those things that I do beta testing on. And I never want to do beta testing on the system I have to read my email on. So it's duplicated on here, but I do it on the other machine. The third computer I brought with me is my Mac PowerBook Pro. When you come to my office, I have my Windows machine under my left hand and my Mac under my right hand. I'm expected to answer the phone at any time and answer questions about either situation and instantly step into a classroom and be the, the substitute teacher for any of those things. So I have to keep the Mac around, even though for me the Mac is a newer experience because I have to be able to work in multiple ecosystems to do things. So what I want to do today, in addition to talk about all the tech that I brought along with me today, and that probably you, each of you, have some bit of the tech I'm bringing here today, I want to go through the day in the life of a blind tech user. How many people in the room currently use an Apple Watch of some kind? Put your hands together. There's a few, right? Now, when I do this talk before the prospective clients at the Carroll Center for the Blind, I always talk about back when I was 11 years old, back in 1967, do the math, and my mother brought me my first clock, which was a West Bend wind-up clock she pried the plastic face off of so I could feel the hands on that analog face. That was my first piece of adaptive tech. Of course, I've gone a long way since then. I went through the whole experience of the... Uh, Talking time. Oh, that was a lovely device, wasn't it? Expensive? Boy, was it expensive to, to know the time. And very expensive the day that it slipped out of my shirt pocket and into a bucket of water that I was using to clean something. I then found out it is possible to be five times six over seven o'clock because the same chip was also a calculator chip and the two fried one another. So that was my next clock. Eventually, though, I bought my clock at Radio Shack. Anybody buy things from Radio Shack? The good old little cube clock? And that's continued to serve me 
for many, many years. But my wife and I keep different schedules. I'm an early riser. She's a late-going-to-bed person. So that same clock can't serve both functions. So recently, I've turned to my Apple Watch as my morning alarm. I go to bed with my watch on, set the alarm, and it vibrates to wake me up in the morning. So I can wake up and not disturb the first lady of ACB and get on with my morning routine. So the very first thing I experience each morning is a piece of tech. Eventually, I do roll out of bed and uh, off to the restroom. And in the bathroom, I have a whole bunch of other tech that we in ACB concern ourselves with. Uh, Again, I'm reaching for my bag of tricks over here. How many of you recognize, see if the right button does it. If I push enough of them, one of them will say the right thing. Ah, come on, you so-and-so. You always do it when I don't want you to. Yes, exactly. I have pushed so many buttons on here, I'm sure I've totally reprogrammed the sucker. This is my talking glucose monitor. Okay? The old days, this wasn't a possible thing, was it? So now I got this one from Prodigy. I actually won it as a door prize at ACB Diabetics in Action event. But I remember the day I went to the doctors and I was diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic. And they said, we realize that we need to accommodate your special needs. So we're going to let you come to our clinic twice a day, every day, and we'll do your blood sugar for you. And I looked at them like they had grown three heads, as you can well imagine. I said, wait a minute, doctor. You, I pay a good premium to this hospital, or this HMO, and I'd like to know what you would do if I were a sighted person. Well, we'd reach into this drawer and we'd give you this glucose monitor, but of course you can't use that because it doesn't talk. And I said, well, I know they exist, and I expect you to get me one. Well, we don't know where they are. Well, then I guess you're going to have to research it. If they can send a man to the moon, by God, they can find a talking glucose monitor that I know exists. Well, if you know of one, why don't you get one? Because I pay the HMO premium. I expect you to do that for me. How about you guys? That's not the only thing in our bathrooms that we concern ourselves with. It's also all those medications I'm taking. And has ACB made progress in making medication accessible to us? Pretty significant. And much of that requires technology, doesn't it? You've got to have the device that reads the label, those kinds of things. Or for that matter, the technology that the companies, the pharmaceutical companies have to use to make those large print labels, braille labels, talking devices attached to the bottles, etc., etc. All of those work that way. I've got a talking blood pressure monitor. Uh, my blood pressure does go up, but I'm usually not anywhere near that in order to register it. I'm taking on a politician or something when my blood sugar rises. <clears throat> Nonetheless, all those bits and pieces that I used to have to do without, I now can do thanks to the work of places and organizations and members like ACB and its members. Down the hall I go. Kim likes a cold house. 
I, not so much. So what's the next thing that makes it part of my tech life? The thermostat. Used to be those good old Honeywell ones. Just, you know, take a couple of peel and stick dots, slap it on there. You line up the dots. You got it handled. But these days, with the cost of energy, that's kind of an expensive way to run life. I need the house to turn itself down when I forget, turn itself up when I need it to do. So I have a programmable thermostat. The first one I got that was fully accessible to me was from Talking Thermostats. And I bought that sucker at the ACB auction. Please go again. I'll be a guest auctioner, 8.30 to 9.30. But nonetheless, Talking Thermostats. Those don't happen because there's a lot of people out there and demanding it. It's because there are a few good people out there working on those kind of things, but it's also because we need to buy it if we expect it to stay alive. And my household, after we did that, redid the heating and cooling of our home to central air, central heat, uh, heat pump, and gas-forced hot, no, hot water on demand. And they put in a thermostat from a very famous company. When you think heating and cooling, who do you think of first? Honeywell, GE, uh, all kinds of possibilities, right? Did I get one of those? No, because they said that mine would work with an app on my iPhone, which is totally inaccessible, and it's carrier, huge manufacturer, inaccessible. So I'm in the process of swapping it out for a Nest, N-E-S-T, smart one, and it will learn my habits as it sees me raise up and lower the temperature at different times in addition to whatever I've set up as my target temperatures and dates and times it's going to learn from my experience when I say, yeah, when I said to raise it to 71, I really meant 73, because I'm never happy at 71, whatever, so it will do those kind of things for me so down the hall I go and I hit that hall closet, which is where all of my clothes have been banished to, uh, Kim has quite the wardrobe, and so I followed the lead of most husbands, and my closet space is what's left over, even if it's down the hall. Yours is in the TV room, Carl? Yeah. There you go. So I get to the, get to the hall closet, open it up, and I have the same wardrobe problems everybody else has. What goes with what? How do I keep track of all of that? And here's one where I, I really do think the ladies have it better off because there's a lot of different cuts and things that you can tell clothing apart with if you're really good at memory. But us guys, we tend to buy shirts by the oh, four or five, same cut, same everything, and don't know one from the other. So how do you go about doing that kind of thing? I use a talking color identifier that I bought from APH at, uh, what is it called, the Colorina? Yeah? How much does that thing go, go for? It's an outrageous amount of money. It's over, I think it's I think about, about like $190. Oh, no, that's the cheaper one you're talking about, Carl. He said 190 different one. I'm talking about the higher. <laughs> Say again? Yeah. Well, that can be very, very expensive. But nonetheless, that's the way I can tell the shirts go with the pants. It doesn't help with the shirts that go with what ties, does it? So it's a real hodgepodge of things. But technology does help me in, in that whole process. I wish, and if somebody knows of a good color ID app on my iPhone that actually works 
I'm up there doing a demo for uh, pr prospective donors to the Carroll Center for the Blind, and I say, look, this color identifier, and I show my pants, and it insisted my, I was wearing pink pants. I'm here to tell you, it wasn't pink, okay? was not pink. So not all the tech is working exactly the way we would like it to. By the way, Peggy, Carl, I'm going to pass this roving mic to you. Now they got the ball rolling. You okay. see where this is going, yes? These people didn't come to hear me give two hours worth of talk. They came to involve themselves in things, and you, as two members of the Information Access Committee, get to help out in this regard. Have I said anything or about any device that you disagree with or you have a different answer to? No. Uh, I will tell you I start off my day slightly differently as a person with, who's also blind but hard of hearing, though so I have a device in my pillow to vibrate because I don't want to wake my wife up because the alarm would be very loud if I did it. And so I have a device that vibrates in the pillow. Um, you always wake up with a smile, don't you, Carl? Oh, yeah. And, and then... Um, <laughs> uh, He's a little slow. Okay. And then I turn on my Victorita stream and download the papers every morning and listen to the papers before my wife wakes up. So that's kind of how I start my day. So, again, you have a device specifically designed for people who can't afford to wake up their spouse, the vibrating pillow. Yep. Yep. You have a Victor Reader Stream, which is a made-for-the-blind product. Right. And we continue to need some component within our lives that are made-for-the-blind products. I love my Victor Reader Stream, second edition especially, the wireless version. If any of you are making do with the previous version, you will wonder what took you so long about converting to the wireless version. Though I haven't been able to get it to hook up to the network in this hotel, I don't think you can because you have to go through a web browser to say, I accept your policies, right? Yeah. And you're, you're kind of <clears throat> out of luck. If somebody knows the way around that, let us know. Let us know. All right. So how do you tell your clothes apart, Carl? I asked my wife. Ah. How about you, Peggy? I, uh, you... I, I've also tried several of the, um, the apps for the iPhone and have found uh, none of them work very well. Like Brian, if someone has found one that works, please let us know. Um, but I have also seen where you have something on, and I know kind of what color it is, and uh, it tells me something very off. So I don't use that. I generally um, am a, a real, I love my iPhone, and uh, that's probably the first thing I reach for in the morning, especially now that I'm retired, so I don't need to get up quite and jump and go to work. Um, so I use the iPhone a lot. I'm kind of Twitter obsessed, so I check the Twitter feeds and uh, the news feeds. I like the new news app on uh, the iPhone. I check that in the morning, as well as the weather and all of that. Uh, but I also have an Amazon uh, Echo and uh, I'll Alexa. be doing something on that in a moment. All right, and I, I love those. I ask that for the weather and uh, like to play Jeopardy on that. So that helps me wake up too. <laughs> All right. So again, we get through that whole get up, get dressed business, head to the kitchen. And those who know me know I love to cook, and so I have quite a bit of cooking gear in my kitchen. I have uh, food scales. Uh, that needless to say, I don't crawl on top of. 
but I, I use for measuring things. I have talking thermometers, and I especially like my eye grill. Anybody here use an eye grill? I have the eye grill, and I use it when I use my smoker. I can be measuring the temperature, internal temperature of brisket, uh, pork ribs, and pork butt, and the general temperature inside the chamber all at one time with one device sending to by Bluetooth to my iPhone. So I can sit up in the shade and let the smoker do the work. And I very much appreciate those kinds of things. And, of course, I have a talking microwave oven, though I'm one of those snobbish cooks. I pretty much do rice or melt butter in it. Um, But nonetheless, it's one of those Hamilton Beach talking ones, uh, which, unfortunately, as I understand it, are no longer manufactured. That's one of the problems when we get into some types of devices that are in the mainstream, right? You might want to buy two if they're really working well for you and stow one away because they may not be here next year because the sighted public may not take on to them the way they did with talking clocks. All right, so through the kitchen, into the living room. Now I'm just trying to stay out of everybody's way while they're getting up and getting ready in the morning. So something new came into my life. Remember I talked about ecosystems, right? We have the Microsoft Windows ecosystem. We have the Mac ecosystem. We have iOS and Android. And now in my life, I also have... What time is it? The time is 2.36. I have the Alexa and uh, Amazon ecosystem in my house. This is the TAP, T-A-P, part of the echo slash tap slash dot means of accessing audio content over your home wireless system and the internet. So on this one, you have to press a button to get its attention. So this is the one we have on our headboard of our, in our bedroom because I don't want to accidentally say Alexa's name in my sleep <clears throat> and uh, have to deal with that. So it's, <laughs> it's pressing that button. What was the score in yesterday's Red Sox game? Last night, the Red Sox beat the Angels 5-4. to four. But it's also things like... <clears throat> Wikipedia, American Foundation for the Blind. The American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, is an American nonprofit organization for people with vision loss. Play... Purple Rain by Prince. The song I found is marked explicit. Here's a sample of Purple Rain by Prince. Stop. Tell me the news. Here's your flash briefing. In NPR News from TuneIn. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Barbara Klein. Hillary Clinton. Stop. So, I use the ecosystem we simply call Alexa. I have to get used to the idea when I push the button, don't say Alexa. When I'm in the living room, just say Alexa. And when I'm down in the man cave where we do ACB Radio's Yin Yang show, I have the dot, the junior of these two things. And it's connected up to Bluetooth speakers down there. 
and it also answers to the name Alexa. And when you bring these things along to demo, you've got to be careful that you haven't got the attention of all three of them at the same time. <laughs> Tech. I'm going to reach back into my bag of tricks. So you guys both use Alexa, don't you? Yes. They're both big Alexa fans. Somebody's decided to come into the room from the front, which a lot of you did, I think. Hello. Come on in. Um, anyway, so we all use Alexa. Do you guys use it for different things than what I was just describing? I also love Jeopardy, by the yeah. way. I also play um, a detective game on it. It's an audio. Oh, wait, the I also play an audio detective game where I am um, Commissioner Gordon trying to solve the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents. And I also love play Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Getting the latest episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Here it is from TuneIn. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Honda. Maker of the restyled Accord. Stop. ACB does not have Honda as a sponsor, so we'll just get past the commercial. I, I bought, I haven't hooked them up yet, but I have bought electrical outlet to work in conjunction with um, Alexa. Yeah, you can, through this ecosystem, be able to control a wide variety of things, not just the home thermostat, but anything that plugs into an outlet. You can actually uh, also start your car if you want to install a device uh, in your car's ignition system. You open, and, open and close drapes, uh, turn on and off sprinkler systems, just a wide variety of things along those lines. You can book an Uber ride. And you can do things, yeah, and they just enabled the, the Lyft app. So if you use Lyft, and Lyft you can is order pizza up and running. Dominoes. Yep. Lots and lots of different things that you can do. In fact, they just announced, anybody here buy things via Amazon, I would think? Amazon has just announced that they're going to put 20,000 products on, on the system that you can order simply by asking for it and then confirming you really did mean to order 12 cases of Charmin bathroom tissue or whatever. Thank goodness you have to say, yes, I did mean that, or you don't a lot of things you didn't intend to. I wanted to let you know that during our Monday afternoon uh, or early evening, Library Users of America is doing a session on reading books differently, and I'll be bringing all of the ecosystem devices with me, the Echo ecosystem devices, and be happy to show you how to access Amazon and Kindle, and I can also tell you that... Uh, Negotiations or work is underway already to turn Bard into an Echo app. So, finally, I'm sitting in my living room. I've finished reading the paper like Carl did with my stream. I've listened to and triaged my email for the day on my iPhone 6. Anybody here have uh, the newer version of the iPhone? 6S. 6S's. What do you think? Did you switch from 6 to 6S, or did you leapfrog? Yes, sir. Yeah, I hear Victor has. Who else? I have the SP. And what do you think? Worth the switch? Smaller, yep. Yeah, smaller generally. 
Now, another thing uh, that I have up here, let me see if I can locate where I slipped it. We are live, my friend. You're not Memorex anymore. So, so I want to um, talk about another thing that's happening in this world. Now, we've been talking about some things that are for the blind, for those with low vision. And there's one more item I was showing in the suite, President's suite last night I want to mention. Because I keep talking about this talks, that talks, the other thing talks, ticky-tocky, ticky-tock, tick. Well... I'm also a Braille reader. Any Braille readers in the room? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'm going to turn this little Braille device on. Come on. Count to five when you push the little button. Did you hear that? This is the latest in refreshable Braille devices. And it is a 20-cell Braille display that you can hook up Bluetooth to your iOS devices. And you can use it because it has an SD card slot on it, as well as a USB port through which it is charged. It has a standard six-dot Braille keyboard plus a cursor cross, you know, up, down, left, right, select. At the space bar and a dot seven and eight keys doubling as control and those kinds of things, control and shift, and uh, pan forward and pan back. And this whole 20 cell refreshable braille display and book reader, did I say it was a note taker? No, it is not a note taker. But this is now orderable through American Printing House for the Blind and RNIB, Royal National Institute of the blind. I think they changed from four to of. And it's for sale for $500. $500. So tell me if the world of blindness products has to cost you an arm and a leg because your eyes don't work. Uh, I've, you know, I've been an advocate in this space for many, many years. And we've always been told that the cost of refreshable Braille was always going to be expensive. And I think that if you are wedded to the piezoelectric method of raising a Braille dot, you're probably pretty accurate because that's a pretty elaborate and expensive little gizmo to work with. But it's the gizmo I used when I was in college, for heaven's sake. Uh, don't you think technology's changed just a mite since then? This is called the, God, what did I call it? The Orbit Reader. Thank you. The Orbit Reader. Twelve different blindness organizations, including APH and Perkins School for the Blind and RNIB and CNIB, Canadian National Institute, and others. Vision Australia. Australia. Absolutely. Don't let me forget our friends from down under. Absolutely. They all pooled money to research the answer to expensive refreshable Braille. And I think they found the answer. And later I'll give you a chance as you're leaving the room here today to give a touch to this because, you know, they say that seeing is believing. Well, in the case of this Braille display, touching is believing. It is a truly amazing sensation. I say that and the little dots aren't coming up. 
think it turned itself off, so I'm trying to turn it back on. Come on. Ah, there they are. User, it says. So, again, on your way out, I'd be happy to let you not only touch the Braille dots, but push on them. This is the firmest Braille you will have ever experienced in terms of refreshable Braille. Lots of possibilities there, and we'll be talking about those when we talk about a bit of the future of technology. So I do use refreshable Braille to access my technologies. A lot of refreshable Braille users in here. Yes, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of choices when it comes to the manufacturer, how many cells, whether there's going to be a note taker doubling as a Braille display or a Braille display alone. I happen to use a Braille Edge. And so I use its SD card slot to slide things in to turn it into a book reader. But its price tag is a mite bit larger than this. It might bit larger than three, no, four, no, six times this. And so uh, I hope that I will be set free of that bondage soon. Anybody here, uh, patrons of the Library of Congress, National Library Service? Yep. So, again, looking into a crystal ball, which mine's quite foggy, but looking into that crystal ball, NLS is very interested in this. How do we know how interested they are? Not only will Karen Kerninger tell you that when she's here later this week, but they've already introduced legislation into Congress, if this Congress can pass anything, that changes NLS's mandate to not only give them the authority to produce and distribute audio playback devices, but also would enable them to distribute Braille playback devices. And uh, the cost currently of of a digital talking book machine per unit is about $350, $400. So this is not too much off the mark, is it, at $500? And they could literally afford, with a bit of an appropriation, to go out and buy one to provide to every Braille reader within the NLS network. And that is truly their hope and desire to make that happen. All right, so I'm out of the house. I got to go to work. And I go to work in a variety of ways in the household, you know, the household uh, minivan. I get driven to work. Or I live two blocks from the nearest bus stop and I get to work by way of bus. Or let's admit it, I'm in love with Uber. All right. Now, I am a guide dog using... Right. I have a guide dog using member of my household, and and I'm I'm kind of a reformed guide dog user. I expect to get back there again someday. Um, So I don't deny that there's problems relative to Uber drivers being consistent in terms of accessing or allowing guide dog users to use their vehicles. But I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that that's Uber making that decision. That's the individual drivers doing it, and it's they that we have to hold accountable in the scheme of things. No, I'm not saying that Uber is... let Let me be careful to say this properly. Uber is claiming throughout the country though remember that Uber is kind of a franchised thing, and so there are different jurisdictions. The laws in Massachusetts are different than the laws in California. Um, But nonetheless, 
Uber believes that their service, this is what their legal team says, is like a dating service. They're not providing the transportation. They're connecting their members who drive cars with their members who need to be driven in cars. And so they're a facilitator rather than a provider. Now, I'm no lawyer, and I know that they've been successful at um, in California, correct? In, to some degree, in um, taking Uber to court over the question of whether or not Uber has responsibility to see to it that guide dog users and other service animal users have the right to ride in those vehicles. And who's responsible for it? Is it the parent company or is it the individual contractors, whatever you want to call them legally? But nonetheless, the idea that I, as a blind person, can know, my braille device just started chattering at me, I have the ability to know who's behind the wheel what vehicle they're in and the ability to communicate with that driver directly rather than through a dispatcher and I hope nobody has a family member who's a dispatcher but to me when you go to dispatcher school you must go to I've learned how to lie school because whenever you ask them when the cab's going to be there it's inevitably 10 minutes or 2 hours whichever they get around to one thing or another So nonetheless, I also think that guide dog users have a wonderful opportunity because when that vehicle blows them off and goes away, if they handle it properly, they know who the driver is. And they can file a complaint not out of a belief that they've been blown away, but out of absolute knowledge that they've been driven off without. And I personally have filed such a complaint before. And um, again, we're going to have an opportunity here at the convention to speak directly with Uber. There'll be a focus group that's going to be going on with Uber. Uber is on the program, so get an opportunity yourselves to speak with them. But this technology has done some marvelous things relative to transportation for all of us. Has anybody here... Well, I'm I'm going to pick on my panelists up here because I talk a lot and they don't get to. Carl, you use Uber? Yeah, I use it several times a week, and I've never and I have a guide dog, and I've yet to be turned down. Now, have you had to be insistent? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I I I, I haven't been turned down, but I, I've got an attitude. But but you know, I don't care as long as I get there. And more or less frequently than with a taxi. I would say less frequently. I get attitude less frequently than with a taxi. I don't take taxis anymore because, um, I, you know, not only does, is there a benefit to knowing the name of the driver, the car make, and model number, you know you're not being lied to about the price on the, um, the taxi meter. And you don't need cash, so it's just, just easier that way. Okay, so off to work we go by way of transportation. Any other great transportation technologies? Let me think here. Lyft, that's, these are services, Lyft as well as uh, Uber, and you can also get one, I think, called Curb in some areas that is actually the taxi company that you're dealing with or a variety of taxi t- companies that knows which ones service the area in which you are currently standing, that kind of thing. But there's also this lovely three-liter acronym, GPS. 
Has that changed your transportation methodologies? APS. Yes. Correct. Absolutely. Pedestrian signals, accessible pedestrian signals are a part of that whole equation as well. And they are technology, believe me. But we've, we've gone from needing to use blindness-only products to being able to use mainstream products on our Android and iOS devices. Doesn't mean necessarily, does it, that we always get as good an experience as if it were built from the ground up with the understanding that you're a blind or visually impaired user. We have to put up with a, an occasional inconsistency like directions down the center of a freeway line as walking directions, that kind of stuff. So you have to be careful to pick and choose. And this is the other complexity in our lives. Uh, there are GPSs that are really good if you're a cyclist. GPSs that are really good if you use public transportation. GPS that works really well if you use those two things at the end of your ankles, then just walk where you're going. But they're not always one size fits all and does all best. So we have to learn to use a variety of these different things. Trekker, Trekker is an example of a for the blind specific device. And so it has some advantages the others do not. But one advantage it does not have is price. Price. How much did Trekker run? $6.95. Thank you. How much did um, four or Blind Square cost people? Thirty bucks. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of difference between those two numbers in my household accounts. I got both just in case. Just in case you get lost. All right. So. I'm going to slip away from my normal scenario here and talk a little bit about the future of technology because there's been a bit of traffic out there on ACB leadership list because an individual who was test driving a Tesla car, right, that was under automated driving mode was killed this past week in an accident. Apparently a car or a truck turned in front of it and the Tesla did not avoid it and the driver was killed. And so there's been some discussion on the boards about, well, see, I told you it was not something the American public is going to accept. Well, no, not exactly not after that, no. Totally disagree with you, Victor. Because more people died in Boston in traffic accidents yesterday than one guy in a smart car down in some town in Florida did. What's driving this, just like a lot of our other technologies, is not busily trying to come with the car that blind people can drive. Why are they doing it? Why are they designing self-driving cars? Because insurance companies know that people cause accidents. The distracted driver. Examples. Technology. Technology bites you in the end eventually, right? But nonetheless, I would not jump to the conclusion by any means that this has set back the whole process toward me before I retire, I hope being able to sit in a vehicle that's driving itself. Yeah. 
so that I can get from point A to point B. Used to be that was science fiction. If you had told me that was even possible not too long ago, I wouldn't have believed it. So while we're working hard to make sure that cars can be heard, good old silent cars problem, right? We in ACB have been working on that one for, for some time. We're also very much involved with companies like Google. I wonder where they're going to be today or this week. What do you think? Here, listening to you. So, transportation is certainly changing in our lifetimes. And not not always for the better. If you went to the airport to get here and you were directed to one of those lovely check-in kiosks, you know we have a ways to go. And a number of laws are coming into place that are forcing these kinds of issues of accessibility when it comes to things covered by um, the FAA. Is that right? FAA? Yeah. Got her? Yeah. Okay. <coughs> yes. I've got one roving mic. Can you talk a little louder and I'll repeat what you said? Yep, there's lots of things going on here. And I will tell you, a law that you didn't realize was going to affect things has been affecting things. One called the CVAA is affecting many, many aspects of your life. We, again, talking about going to work, I work with all those different computers during the day. I come home and I want to relax and watch TV. So we have audio description, right? On television. Um, not all of us have equal access to that, do we? I'm a Comcast customer, and that certainly makes some things happen. And guess who's here with us this week? Let me think who they are. Oh, yeah, that's right, Comcast. So Comcast is, is working hard on this, but certain deadlines are happening. And those deadlines are going to require that a lot more than Comcast steps up to the plate relative to this. Are they going to? That's the question. No, that is not a question. It's not an if. It is a when. And whether or not the FCC is going to grant what I think are inevitable requests for extensions. (coughs) And our friends at Comcast are very... We, we should be really happy that they did it, even if you aren't a Comcast customer, because they set the low bar. The minute it was proved that it could be done, it now must be done. Not can be, because I must be. It doesn't matter whether they think they can, the law says they shall. And they shall by a certain date. And you can bet that ACB is not going to tolerate any requests for extensions. They've had more than enough time to do it. They can even license what Comcast is doing. Comcast is more than happy to do that, believe me. Carl, you were trying to say something? I'm just saying that deadline is in December, which is only, at this point, 
seven months away, uh, not even five months away. That's right. So audio descriptive television should be coming to the masses. Now, it's not a perfect solution. And you will be hearing a number of resolutions coming to the floor here at the ACB convention to more clearly state ACB's approach toward what we believe true access ought to be in that realm. Now, I will tell you there's some pretty flaky stuff out there. Uh, my organization, the Carroll Center for the Blind, we got a contract with a company by the name of Samsung. And they sent their engineers from Korea to Boston for us to help test out their smart TVs. And uh, unfortunately, the smart TVs that they built access into the TV, not the set-top box, into the TV, starts at something like $1,600. So these things frequently start at the high end, right? It's a feature that they think some sighted people will want to be able to do, to be able to talk to and be talked to by their televisions as a means of interacting with it instead of that crazy remote control that most sighted people don't know how to use well either. Um, and they're incorporating into those TVs gestures that you do in the air. So you want it to skip from what it's doing to uh, the next channel up you, you, you make a thumb gesture as if you're hitchhiking to the right. Next. Or thumb to the left. Go back a channel. A whole bunch of things like that. There's a lot of things being experimented on to deal with this whole user interface. Not because it's best for you and me, but because it's best for a society who wants to be able to do everything without having to know anything. Oh, am I nasty, huh? But, yes, go ahead. So, so, so different agencies have authorities over different things. So, when it comes to our problem with airlines, there's only one entity that we get to deal with. Who are they? The FAA. When it comes to web accessibility, there is only one entity that has authority over that. And you're right, it is the DOJ. And yes, they have played some interesting games with us over time. Not the least of which is not being able to live up to their own laws relative to when regulations were supposed to be promulgated and out there. Um, but in spite of all of that, being our government in, in its infinite wisdom... They're not going to wait till the rigs are there to start pursuing things, and they certainly have. And I read on a daily basis, again, part of my job, I read on a daily basis about law firms recommending that their clients get on board now and not wait till later, because adapting to the regulations only gets more expensive over time. And if they're in the process of rewriting their website today, it's a lot less expensive to build it accessible than it is to bolt accessibility on after the fact. And the lawyers are telling their clients this. If you want to see one of the biggest exploding spaces out there right now, it's companies who are assisting other companies in making their websites accessible 
in one form or another. If you can get properly educated to be a website evaluator down at the code level, you will find a job, my friend. Lots of it to be done out there. So, again, when we're talking about updating technologies here with ACB and what we do as a group, we have this committee that the president appoints and people get sacrificed, uh, pardon me, sign up for. And we, re we meet on a regular basis by telephone conference call. We have the able assistance of both Eric Bridges and who else? And who else? Brian Johnson. No, 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 no. I'm not a staff. Anthony Stevens, right? Our governmental affairs director. And the two of them are very much active members of this committee. We have Carl, we have Peggy, we have Jeff Bishop, and a number of others. Any other members of the committee in the room? Nope. Mm. You see why I picked on these two? They showed up. Um. <laughs> At least four lawyer jokes came to mind when you said that. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, right? All lawyers are. Why? Why do they bury lawyers twelve feet deep? Because deep down they're good people. So. <laughs> Nonetheless, we have this committee, and we do a lot of interesting things over time, and not the least of which is sign NDAs. So you're going to see a number of tech companies here, as you did last year, as you did the year before, and as you will next year, that are tech companies. And we're engaged with all of them in one form or another. Some of them under um, agreements with government. Some of them under agreements strictly ACB and those companies and some of them under um, legal obligation. Okay? Um, it's do it or pay the penalty kind of thing. Okay? So we do this with the different companies. So I'm going to pick on them and go through them and ask my fellows up here to add to what I'm saying about these relationships. We are going to be giving an award this year to a, a little company yes. by the name of Apple. Apple. Did they deserve an award for what they've done yes. for us? Yes. So I will tell you, I've been doing this kind of work for more than 30 years. And so one of the first systems I ever had to learn to use was one of the earliest Mac, Mac computers. And I had to buy a third-party product from a company called Berkeley Systems. And I used something called Outspoken as my way of doing it. And at that time, anyway, I also uh, had to teach low vision people, so I also did um, enlarge. And I also used an Opticon on it for in touch. And unfortunately, Berkeley Systems, what happened to them? They went out of business. And did Apple run over and buy all those things to make them available to us? No. Nope took a long time before Apple got back on the bandwagon in any fashion. And when they did, they did it big time. They put a no extra charge screen reader and a no extra charge screen magnification into their operating system on the Mac. And the, for that, 
That alone, they deserve an award, in my opinion. Add to that what they've done in the iOS ecosystem, right? They, again, gave us a screen reader and gave us a screen magnifier and many other things for other people with other types of disabilities. And what did they charge us for that? Nothing. Nothing. So they get the idea that accessibility ought to be a built-in experience. Anybody here use Android devices? Android phones? Okay. And is there a free screen reader for that? Yes. Is there a free screen magnifier for that? Yes. Uh, I do say to my friends who are, are Android phone users that they've got more time in their day than I do in mine because it's kind of the wild west of accessibility, right? You have to know what you're doing, I think, more on an Android device than to perform the same function on an iOS device. Personal opinion, not committee opinion. Do we have any Android users on the committee? I do not think we do currently. So if you're a big-time Android person, you know, like they say in the military, do we have a job for you? <laughs> We'd love to have a good, solid, everyday user of Android accessibility to add to our committee. We also um, are going to see a few changes in the third big company in this triumvirate. Who's, who are they? Amazon. I'll get to Amazon as my fourth. I should say the third of four. And that's Microsoft. Is Microsoft at this convention? Yes, they are. They're going to be meeting with in focus groups. Uh, and they are a major sponsor of this convention. So that, if you will, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Now, if you spend much time reading tech news-oriented things, and you also read things about accessibility, then without me violating my NDA, you can put a few things together, don't you think? How many... How, what's Microsoft doing in terms of hiring people who know about accessibility and bringing them onto their teams? They are... They've more than quadrupled and expect to do a tenfold increase. There's currently more than 50 open jobs at Microsoft in accessibility. Their issue is finding people. But they've said that they're going to do many things for ACB and for the blindness community. And the first changes are, if you're an... Anybody in here use Windows 10? And what did you have to do to use Windows 10 as a screen reader user? You had to not use the Edge browser. Is that true? That's true. I don't think you'll be able to say that come January 1. Two, you probably struggled a bit using originally. There have been upgrades in the interim. Um, the email client that's in it. That's getting progressively better. There have been at least five upgrades in that in terms of its accessibility, and you can expect more by January 1. Then you have this whole business of 
narrator. Okay? Those of you who have used narrator, what's your opinion? So the answer probably is what you would read if you went to the Microsoft web page and asked the question. And that is that narrator is not intended to be your screen reader. It's intended to allow you access to the, to the system sufficient to set it up and get it started and to access certain um, built into the operating system features like being able to go through control panel, that kind of thing. Okay. But it is not intended to be the screen reader for using Word or Excel, any of those things. That has not been its role up to this time. And in fact, ACB is partially responsible for that. Uh, back, when, uh, back when I took my first trip on behalf of ACB to Microsoft headquarters out in Redmond, all the discussion was, do we want this company to insert a full-featured screen reader in the operating system, or do we want to use third-party developers to do that? And at that time, it was ACB's belief that we would get more out of third-party companies going back and forth. I can do this. Oh, well, I can do that, and I can do this other thing. And there'd be the competition between them that would drive features to become better and better and better over time. And to some degree, I think that that's been true. Take a look at what GW Micro has done that Freedom Scientific has tried to do one better, and vice versa. Zoom text and magic in the world of screen magnification. Certainly, they've leapfrogged one another over the years. But when Apple came out with voiceover and Zoom, we saw another way to get the, get the job done. And that was that if the company embedded the screen reader and embedded the screen magnifier so deep into the operating system that they couldn't modify the operating system without modifying the screen reader and screen magnifier, that we would get the experience in a Windows universe that we've come to expect in an Apple universe. When do you think that might happen? January 1 is the goal. Now, I say it's the goal, and from a... Anybody here a programmer? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you programmers know that every piece of software that gets modified eventually gets bogged down by legacy code. And people come and go on the coding teams. And sometimes when they go, with them went how that sucker worked, that little string of code. And so to upgrade things takes quite a bit of doing to do it. So Microsoft is not engaged in simply creating a newer, better navigator or a newer, better magnifier. They're engaged in modifying the operating system, the screen reader and screen magnifiers, 
and the entire ecosystem so that they are interdependent on one another and therefore when they modify the operating system they will also have to upgrade and modify what? The screen reader and the screen magnifier. They're going to have to modify and they are in the process as you will see by January 1. Some other things I can't get specific because of NDA, but I can say in general that there is a very, very strong commitment by Microsoft to meet their internal deadlines to accomplish what I've been describing this afternoon. I have a question. Go. Will Microsoft be addressing, because this is a question that I think needs to be addressed at the convention level, mm -hmm. will they be addressing the convention as a whole? Microsoft will be addressing the convention as a whole. Good question. And I will tell you that the ACB leadership has already um, asked Microsoft to make a public statement about the how of it. Yes, they have made a commitment on what they're going to do. If you hold back on upgrading to Windows 10, waiting for January 1, then you will get that upgrade without an additional charge. That is a written, legal, binding obligation on the part of Microsoft. We also made sure in that discussion that they realized it wasn't our job to figure out how they were going to pull it off. They've got the resources to do pretty much what they want to do, right? Buy a small country, what you say, no problem. So that is, that is absolutely a binding uh, obligation on the part of Microsoft. The, you know, you have to say something about a company who has hired on a person and called them the chief accessibility officer. So in the same way they have a CEO and a COO and a MOUSE, they have a CAO at the same level of the company. This is not a junior position. Very much not a junior position. She will not be here this year because she has a former obligation. It's called getting married. So she really wasn't willing to give up that to be here this year. But she's made a commitment to be with us next year. Okay. So Microsoft is certainly changing, and we should see that. So we're talking ACB has pretty good relationships with Apple. Go ahead, sure. Windows phones, where, where's that at? Say again? Windows phones. Windows phones. This is the other thing I find very, very interesting. Keep in mind that Windows, as an operating system, is converging 
into a central operating system not dissimilar to the Apple operating system. So, the same narrator that you will see in Windows 10 desktop, you'll see in Windows 10 tablet and Windows 10 phone. It's an entire ecosystem process. Is that today? By no means. I would say that the Windows Phone was a big, big letdown. And it's one of the things that allowed ACB to speak with our colleagues at Microsoft and say, you know, you've missed, missed the... I was thinking baseball metaphors and, you know, you just hit a pitch against the backstop. You missed everybody in not making that phone accessible when the deadlines to make phones accessible was already here and gone before you even released it. So the obligation, again, by Microsoft, the commitment they've made is that the same accessibility experience that we get with Windows desktop, Windows tablet will also be Windows phone. We haven't taken anything off the table. Now, Brian, how does the Windows phone work versus the iPhone once they put accessibility keys in? Don't know. Can't use one. Haven't a clue. And I have to admit a certain thing, right? What percentage of the phone egos... I keep using that for... What percentage of smartphones are Windows phones right now? Less than 1%. Less than 1%. So it's really not going to be a game changer. But the fact that it's less than 1% doesn't mean that we're going to not hold them to that obligation. Comment in the back? So, again, it's all a matter of level of accessibility. I'm going to repeat the statement because we couldn't pick it up for the ACB radio folks. And that is that um, uh, a participant here has friends in Colorado who say they're using Microsoft Windows phones and they're able to do email and web browsing, but they're not able to do word processing, editing on them. I'm not aware that such a thing is doable. doesn't mean it isn't doable for them and under what circumstances. You know, we're so used to using our Apple phones and we get to decide, oh, do you have a GS? Or, you know, what version of the Apple phone do you have, right? But in the world of Android, the variety of hardware is so vast that you can't make a statement that says Android's accessible because Android is scalable. And you can scale it down on some phones to the point that it's barely a phone. Uh, and the same thing may very well be true about Windows-based phones. That because Windows phones operate under Windows CE. Ah, oh, did you hear the word she said? Beta. Did you hear that word? Beta. Beta. Which means you and I can't get it. But they're working on the testing of these. Proof that they're working on it.
All right. So I wanted to bring up one other company while we're going through this litany of companies. And that company is Amazon. Amazon. What a crazy group of people they are over there. They are, they're pretty much trying to be the world's company, right? They'll sell you toilet paper. They'll sell you internet services. They'll sell you music. They'll, do, they'll sell you anything that isn't tied down, and they're likely to sell you the ropes to do it with. So I went to a conference in Washington, D.C. called the M Enabling Conference. Anybody here been to it? Okay. Very interesting conference. And where did I put it in here? I'm trying to find which pocket I slid into. Into my bag of tricks. Yep. Oops! Don't hit any keys. No, shut up. So, you accidentally touch a key, and your life can change, right? So, at the conference, I got a chance to speak with a gentleman by the name of Peter Corn. You guys know Peter? Some of you do. So Peter was one of the programmers that used to work at that company called Berkeley Systems back in the day. And uh, since then, he's worked at uh, Adobe and Oracle and now Amazon. So I, like you, I see these new things that people say out on the list. Oh, I just bought a witchwatcha watcha and it's really wonderful and you really need to own one. And then I turned to my bride and said, could I get some extra in my allowance so that I could? And it really doesn't happen very often. In fact, the only reason we have all these echo things is Kim fell in love with them. So she got me an echo for Christmas, fell in love with it, found out there was a tap, and tip-tap, we had a tap. And then I said... uh, the one thing that you could verbally order through the Echo was a dot, the smallest version. You could simply say, Alexa, buy me an, a dot. And they said, did you want me to buy you a dot? Yes. It'll be delivered in four weeks. Are you okay with that? And I say, yes. And bam, it came in the mail. Because you ha- it uses your... Amazon Prime account. Okay, now I want one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so we got all of those things, and then I started hearing about this device called the Fire Tablet. Anybody in the room got one? I hear hear one. Now, there are a couple of things that really matter with, with respect to this. The biggest thing, and you'll hear me say it over and over again, you can have the best tech in all the world, but if I can't afford to buy it, it is not a game changer. It's a laboratory experiment that I'll never be able to afford. So, the fact is that the tablet I have in my hand cost me $49.95. And it is a true tablet. Don't confuse this. Don't confuse this with a Kindle. A Kindle is a book reader. Just like this refreshable Braille device I was talking about is not a note taker. This is not a Kindle book reader. This is a Fire tablet for 50 bucks. It came with 8 gig of RAM, but being me, I'm always subject you know, to uh, 
what do they call that when you buy more than you intend? <laughs> so I added 32 more gig to it through a mini SD card. So it's a 40 gig system for me. And it, I'm going to turn it on. May not come on right away. Let's see. One, two, three. Because it is a tablet, it has to take time to what? Boot. So it's booting right now. Three days ago, while I was waiting for my Amazon, show me, for my Uber car to arrive, I was busy grabbing things and sliding them into pockets. And this thing is just, just small enough. And small doesn't describe it, in my opinion. I'm so used to an iPhone that anything bigger than that seems big to me. But this is pretty much my hand span to grip it. There we go. Voice view ready. Optimizing system storage and applications. That's the voice view. Wi-Fi networks available. So as I was gathering all my things, put my stream in my front left pocket, um, put my phone in my shirt pocket, um, you know, just started stuffing pockets with things. Because this time of year, unlike... um, Kim, who has the purse that will will forever injure me every time she turns. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about. Device locked. You're walking behind the ladies and they simply adjust that shoulder strap and take out half the elevator doing it. Okay. So, so when I go from winter gear where I've got pockets in my jacket to summer gear where I'm not wearing po- wearing jackets, my pants pockets have to do the job so i reached for this slipped it into my pocket and found i missed my pocket entirely it hit the floor and the screen is shattered so i'm not going to show this to you because i'm afraid that you will touch it where it might cut you so but it is come on wakey wakey and amazon also just came out with the fire disconnected kim's fifth fire who owns this? Kim Spitfire. She bought it on her Amazon account, you see. So it got labeled that. I haven't renamed it yet. Uh, plus, I kind of like the idea of saying Kim Spitfire, you know. Two notifications. Location requests active. Battery 65%. Kim L. Charlton. Double tap to switch profile. Kim. Select profile. profile. Saturday. Showtime. U.S. Brian Charlton. And it says Charlton, doesn't it? It's spelled correctly. It's a mispronunciation. It says Kim Charles' son and Brian Charlton. I don't know. Maybe they know something I don't know. Kim L. Brian Charlton. Saturday, July 2nd. Showtime, U.S. Learn more. Watch season premiere now. View more ads. Button. Now, whoever clicked on that button that said view more ads? Does anybody ever do that? <laughs> Apparently. Unlock. I'm going to unlock it. Device unlocked. Fire launcher. Home. Recent. One of ten. Wi-Fi disconnected. Kim's fifth fire. Two notifications. Location requests active. Battery 65%. 333. Recent. One of ten. Whew. This screen reader is called um, Voice View. Voice View. So now we have... Oh, the tablet is the uh, Amazon Fire. And it comes in this simple version, if you will. 
for $20 more, you get more. The cameras become better. The, um, it does a Adobe quality sound, though it only has a, a mono speaker on it. I'm talking about the headphone experience, auditorily speaking, is better. And of course, the, the uh, screen resolution is better and those kind of things. But since I'm using this primary as, primarily as a book reader, with this device, I can access Amazon, I can access Kindle, and I can access Bard, all on a $50 device. And that's spelled F-I-R-E or Meaning reading books. The whole enchilada. This is like the Bard app that you get for an iOS device. You can get the Bard app for Android devices. Now, when you say read, read Amazon books, you mean Audible, right? I mean Audible. I mean um, Kindle. I mean Bard. I mean... Um, Bookshare. Bookshare. You know, all of those things. If, because this is an Android device. If there's an Android app, you can install it on it and use it. Now, if the app you're installing is self-voicing, then just as if you had a self-voicing program on your Windows desktop machine and you're running a screen reader, you'll have to decide, do I want to use the screen reader's voice or do I want to use the built-in voice of that particular app or program? So this is going to be a bit of a game changer. Did they put speech in just this device? No. They did the entire ecosystem. Remember, Amazon are the ones that did the Alexa. Amazon did the Fire tablet series. And, Carl, you were saying, what else did Amazon do? I just bought a um, brand new Amazon Fire TV to hook up next to my Apple TV, so it's no longer, Apple TV is no longer the only streaming device that's fully accessible. The uh, Amazon Fire TV is, also has the voice uh, cue screen reader built into it. So, there's TV, there's tablets, there's whatever you call these uh, voice-activated uh, wireless network appliances. Is that what you would call them? I'll call them appliances. What the heck? They're not here to shoot me. Um, all of those things in an accessible fashion are happening. Is it a perfect scenario? No, it is not. How many movies that one can purchase to view or rent on Amazon are accessible, Carl? As of now, not. Zero. He says as of now, you notice. There's nothing about January 1 in your qualifier, Carl? I, I, I don't know of any date, but I have a feeling or suspicion that things will change. He has a feeling or suspicion that things will change. <laughs> He's not under NDA, but he has a reputation for knowing things he shouldn't know. It's been very helpful to have him on the committee as a result of that kind of uh, inside track, right? So nonetheless, you're going to be seeing lots of changes relative to, to these kinds of activities. Which? Oh, the Braille display? Right, the orbit, O-R-B-I-T, correct. So, 
you're getting an idea of, of some of the things that are happening. We've talked Microsoft, we've talked Google, we've talked Apple, uh, we've talked Amazon. Who did we leave out? Hey, Gary, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm good. trying to keep the account. I've heard of something called the Fire Stick, or I mean the Amazon Stick. Ah, so what you've, what you've got is a different way of doing things. There's the Fire Stick. Well, there, no, there's a Fire Stick. The Fire Stick, when you get the Fire TV, you get one of two kinds. You get the down and dirty Fire Stick, which is, looks something like a, a thumb drive that hooks into your HDMI port and gives you access to things, uh, quite a bit of things, actually. But what do you suppose when you buy the fancier box, you get higher screen resolution, big time. Big time higher screen resolution. And for a low vision person, that might be a very important aspect of it. The Fire Stick, of course, also you can unplug it and take it to your friend's house who has an HDMI port on their television and bring it with you and do some things. Keep in mind also that when you attach the Fire TV, Fire Stick, either one of those, to your HDMI port on your TV, you also get with this a remote control. Looks somewhat like an Apple remote control, but with a a few more buttons on it. And it has a microphone on it. So in the same way I was saying to this Echo, I wanted it to do certain things, you can speech control your television experience through the Fire series. You know, it's great to see Amazon embracing accessibility with all of these new things, but there is an old thing that Amazon has that we, at least from what I understand from friends of mine as blind people, do not really have good access to that is their music downloader for the PC. And I would hope that if ACB and Amazon have a relationship, we could work to get that fixed. Because not all of us necessarily own fancy Amazon products you're showing. Correct. And in fact, when we, uh, I had mentioned that I've known Peter for 30 years, something like that, 30 years in four companies. And, um, I've already worked on arranging for Eric Bridges to meet with him in October when he's out meeting with the folks at Microsoft. So you can expect some other changes happening in that regard. And we're not letting them off the hook relative to the idea that, in fact, they should make available to us audio-described soundtracks for any movie or TV show that they do as we have worked out with another little company, Netflix. Right? So have we been able to achieve some things in that space? Yes, we absolutely have. It used to be that when you came to an ACB convention, you had one committee. It was called the Access Committee. And we subdivided that into two committees, Information Access and environmental access. Then we created some other interesting entities like the ADP. What's that, Carl? Audio Description Project. Audio Description Project. There are such overlaps in all of this work 
that we very much try to work together, all three of these committees, doing the, the good work of ACB. We are forever looking for three things from the membership. One is people who know more about these things than we do, because we are very humble people. The more you work with tech, the more you know what you don't know. It simply is. And while I talk about needing to broaden our horizons and not stick with one computer uh, operating system, but to learn two, perhaps to learn more than one screen reader, maybe two, uh, to use more than one browser, anybody here who uses IE probably would be well served to also know how to use Firefox, for example. Not one only, because you go to websites and they act different depending on which browser you're doing. So we need to be able to broaden our horizons. And our committees need to also. So anybody here using ACB Link? Yep. Yeah, that was about it. Thanks, Jeff Bishop. Wonderful product, right? And what was the major upgrade of ACB Link for this convention? Broadcast. Nope, that was a minor one. Low vision access. Let's not forget that while we're talking about things that talk, and I did Braille, I'm a totally blind person, so it's difficult for me to sell the large print side of things, right? But it does exist, and we do care about that. We want to make sure that while we're pushing for better voiceover, we're pushing for better Zoom. We're trying to make sure that we're not an all-speech or all-Braille, but an all-access modalities entity as we do things. Now, I'm going to check this watch here. Anybody here wearing a Bluetooth earpiece? No. Why? Yes. I live with a Bluetooth earpiece. What's up? One What time is it? 2.44. So I'm going to ask if we might take about a 10-minute break. And when we get back, I, I need a little time to make sure that the next piece of tech is going to work. We're going to be joined here at 3.30 by the team of Microsoft by way of a Skype call. And I'm going to precede that by showing you a video about accessibility at Microsoft that is yet to be released. You will be the first people to see this video. Um, and they are working on a couple of others as well. But I need a few minutes to set things up properly to make that all happen at 3.30. So I'm going to take a 10-minute break. Then we'll get back and we'll do some more Q&A before we bring on the folks from Microsoft. So take a break, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your patience. We're going to come back to order now. I'm trying to do several things at one time up here, and that's kind of fun. Um, I had, anybody here know a guy at Microsoft by the name of Kelly Ford? Okay. Kelly's going to be our lead guest speaker as we go forward with this. Kelly is going to be here later in the week. He's actually calling into this call between going horseback riding with his family in the morning and going canoeing with them in the afternoon. Uh, a family obligation he couldn't change, but he will be here and will be presenting uh, and available to go over narrator hands-on following the BITS program on Tuesday afternoon. And the BITS group have their own suite, and they've agreed to let him use their suites to do one-on-ones uh, during the course of Tuesday and Wednesday. 
So, if you want to be part of that, then you get a hold of John McCann, president of BITS and member of the ACB board. Again, every time I turn to ask somebody to say something, they're at the board meeting. So, he's just one more of those folks. Say again. I do. See me later. So the, the real trick is, I believe he's staying in the bits. Um, uh, the room number for bits is? Is, is is three bytes and four bytes. Twenty four thirty two. <laughs> twenty four thirty two. So while you guys were were chit chatting, I did a couple of things up here. One is I found in my Outlook <clears throat> Outlook on my laptop here an invite to a Skype meeting uh, and it instantly said, oh, great, we'll go into that Skype meeting. But, wait, there's even more. First, I've got to update your drivers and such whatnots. So that's part of what took this extra time. I am now sitting there waiting for the meeting organizer to come in. So at any point, my laptop might start talking to me. I have a jack that will put him in the PA system here so you guys can hear him, I believe. Is that accurate, Larry? What's that? When I plug in ACB radio hears, do the room does the room hear? Yes. Good. So everybody gets a chance to hear it more thoroughly than if they had to all huddle around my little laptop over here when that time comes. I just realized that the yeah, okay, the earphone jacks are where I expected them to be on this one. Very good. So I am now reaching to this little slip knot I put in this cord. Not tight. I didn't hurt anything. Going to plug it in that jack. And let's see if we blow anybody's ears away. Title is Skype for Business Web App Dash Internet Explorer. Hello, you're in our virtual lobby, so make yourself comfortable. The organizer will let you in soon. Dot, dot, dot. Region. Frame equals Skype for Business Web App. Welcome to a virtual lobby. So we're going to wait for them to get on there. But while that's going on, I'm going to attempt to go and play the video I was referring to. Alt tab, narrator, talk to ACB information access committee dash meeting. Alt tab, inbox dash Brian dot Charles and Carol dot org dash outlook. Inbox dash Brian dot Charles and Carol dot org dash outlook. List box, meeting, meeting request, meeting request, attachment, meeting request, attachment, header dot Campbell, meeting request, attachment, header dot Campbell, meeting request, attachment, header dot Kelly Ford, recall and AC, Amazon dot com, prime. Kelly Ford recall in ACB convention 2447 p.m. 22 KB. Enter. Message from Colin Kelly Ford. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. Land. The video I mentioned in our phone call today can be played from Colin. Land. Link HTTPS colon slash slash one drv dot ms slash v slash s ldw two a's. A URL only a mother could love. <laughs> All right. So, couple of caveats. There's always caveats on these things. I'm going to be pressing the enter key. It's going to go to um, find this file and stream that file to me. Now, I'm doing this by way of wireless in a hotel. Okay? We all know that anything can happen. I've got queued up in the background the conference call that can that is supposed to start at 3.30 and we're currently at 319. So I'm hoping that this video will last until about when they come on. So wish me luck. This is one of those eye-hand coordination things I was never very good at. So 
Press the enter key. Enter. Skype for business web app dash internet explorer. Skype for business web app. Hello, you're in our virtual lobby, so make yourself comfortable. The organizer will let you in soon. Dot, 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 region end. New tab. Didn't ask for that. That was OneDrive dash internet explorer. Narrator demo video dot mp4 dash OneDrive. New tab page. OneDrive. And it's done through OneDrive. And here we go. All right, folks, today, again, we're, we're taking a look at so many cool features coming out of engineering and also, more importantly, getting a chance to interact and meet with the folks and hear from the folks that are building this stuff and get insight into why they're building it and the, the thoughts that go into it. Um, and accessibility is a huge, uh, you know, priority for the company right now. You hear Satya talking about it a lot. And recently, I was able to be involved with a couple demos around this area. And, man, my mind was blown not only about how much I learned, but how much I realized I didn't know. Uh, so I'm really excited today to have Brett with us, who's actually going to talk about the things that we think about with accessibility and show you some demos of things we're putting in the product that are really going to empower folks to be productive. So, Brett, thank you for being here, man. Yeah, you bet. It's a pleasure. Yeah, man. So, so, so talk to me a little bit about the kind of things that you think about uh, when, you're, when you're building accessibility into the product. There's a range of things from disability. You might have uh, the ability not to hear so well, uh, motor control, like how would you interact with the computer if you can't use your hands or your arms. Uh, to really being fully blind. So there's just a really large range of kind of how you need to interact with the system and make it usable for everybody. Wow. And, um, you know, when, when I was working with a demo recently um, that, that was around a narrator feature, I was really surprised to learn this one thing, and I'm, I'm sure there's like a dozen things like this you could talk about, but uh, the, the, when I first heard the narrator speak, it was super fast. Yeah. And I was like, hey, there's a bug, this is super fast. And, and I was informed, like, actually, no, when, when folks are just trying to click through and do stuff, they don't want to wait to hear it, uh, you know, to, for it to take so long. Um, what kind of things like that uh, may most of us take for granted and not be aware of? Yeah, well, in the screen reading space, there's quite a bit. Uh, you'd be surprised as... Uh things that are important, like visually, that you see. So if you go to a web page, for example, you take for granted that you can kind of scan a web page. You can easily see headers. You can easily see links. Mm -hmm. And so now when you're a blind user, how do you easily find a link? How do you jump to a header? How do you just manage? Because paragraphs themselves usually contain logical information, so how do I jump from paragraph to paragraph? And it's really super fast to do when you scan visually. So how do you give someone that same ability, both through the keyboard and then you go back to your fast speaking rate? Super important because they can listen super, super fast. So it just helps them optimize how they interact and really be productive. And that's so cool that you and folks in the company are addressing and thinking about these things and building solutions. Um, you brought some cool stuff to show us today. Why don't you take us through it? We've been focused on what it means to really help those who are blind. And we've done quite a few improvements to really make uh, Narrator 1 more usable and more productive for people. And so I'm going to demo, I'll start with the demo just around some very basic things. You're asking earlier, well, what are things that you think about? And when you're doing design and you're building a system, really it's important to understand visual transitions and how that translates to a, a blind user. And so I'm going to start where you always start in Windows, which is on the start screen. Right. And I'm just going to go... With search window, search box, editing. Flip so, down to change to suggestions view. So you heard narrator kind of told us some things. Hey, I'm on the search box. Let's go ahead and search. I'm just going to go ahead and do a search for uh, top grossing movies. Top G. Top grossing movies. Install app. One of 11. Selected. I'm going to slow that down just a little bit if that's okay. Cap speed decrease to 25%. Search window. Top G. Top grossing movies. Install app. One of 11. Selected. So what you'll notice is that visually on the screen right now, I've put on top grossing movies. 
And then there's a bunch of things going on on the search pane. You can see there's something that's selected. You can see that there are several options there. And so what we've started to do is really tell screen reader users that, hey, look, not only when you type something, there was, there's a positive response from it, there's n number of things that are options for you to scan through. So I'm just going to scan down. Top grossing, search the web. To find results in web. Top grossing movies of all time, search the web. Four of 11, selected. So now I know that I'm on the fourth, the 11 options that are there. Oh, wow. And so it's just very straightforward, very clear. And this is something that's really not been done consistently for screen reader users. So something we've really spent time uh, during Redstone is to work with our partners and figure out how we really make that work. Microsoft, top gro- HTTPS slash slash top grossing movies of all time. Bing. Okay, so we've opened the web browser. Now I'm just going to show something here that it's very easy visually to see that there's a bunch of headers, there's a bunch of links, and it's really easy to remember uh, that you have site, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to understand sometimes what it's like to not have site. So one of the things we've done is we've uh, made an ability for what's called yeah. developer mode, so it can really help reinforce what does it look like or feel like or sound like uh, for a blind user. So I'm going to enter developer mode. I'm going to hold down the caps lock key. Caps lock. Shift. And hit F12. Developer mode enabled. Press so, shift caps F12 to disable. So now you can say I'm in this mode, and this is really the reality of what a blind person sees. They don't get to scan the page. They don't have all that visual context. And so what we've done is we've said, hey, look, let's make it easier for people to get through a web page. So there's a couple of things. Uh, we've built a new mode called scan mode. I'm going to turn that on. Caps lock. Scan. So I hit the space bar, we turned on scan mode. And now it allows you to kind of do what you would do visually. You might scan down something. So I'm going to do that literally by just pressing the down arrow key. Heading level one, Bing. Press space to edit. Submit query. 52 million results. Anytime. Heading level two, what is highest grossing film of all time? So now you can see that we're going to tell you about the heading level and the structure so that you can understand where you're at. Made it super simple to start just kind of scanning through the document. I mean, there's two things here that are amazing to me. Number one is how structured it is for someone uh, to be able to navigate. But number two, the fact that there's this new environment so that a developer who maybe not is not well-versed in navigating like this every day can actually immerse themselves in an environment to test what they're building. I mean, that's, that's so cool. Yep. So we've also been talking a lot about fit and finish and those kind of things. Yes. Um, is that how you guys test as well? Do you flight these builds? Yes. We work with specific groups of people who are blind. Um, they come in and they help us to get feedback. It, it's very tricky. Again, earlier, as you noted, um, it's easy to understand structure when you visually look at something. So it's easy to bias yourself and think that a screen reader is quick and easy to use. And so to really, ha- you really kind of need that interaction with, with those customers. We also have about 60 people, which we've actually helped send them hardware. And so we're going to get feedback from them. Um, I'll just show you a simple thing. If a user were upset in the middle of using Narrator, they can hold down the caps lock key. Caps lock. Press E twice. Give us your feedback window. Selected. I got lost. Radio button. Brian. And so we have very specific feedback for Narrator users so they can tell us, I was upset right here. Here's a series of steps they took to get there, and now here's where they truly got frustrated. So over time, as we get more usage, we'll really be able to start to aggregate that data and go, oh, look, everybody that's using insert in this case, the weather app, they're all getting upset at this particular point, and now we can start to understand what were they doing, how did they get there, how were they really interacting with the, with the application. Man, that is so awesome that like, some of the, the same systems we're using to really put fit and finish on the whole product, it's great that you kind of have a niche way to execute that to, to get this up to where it needs to be. And Man, I appreciate you coming and showing us this stuff today. Um, anything else you want to share with the folks or have folks think about? Weather window. Know, before, kind of close up? Uh, just... 
one of the core things that we've learned, just one of the core learnings is that when you want to go really build a new application, really start with your design team. Because to get a really good, accessible experience, it starts at design. And so we've really spent a lot of time really going forward about, hey, you have a new app? Really sit down and talk with us, talk with design, talk to, us, talk to us about what does the flow of your app mean, what do your buttons mean, so you can describe everything properly, so you can have a really nice, consistent flow and think about those pieces up front, because that really helps your devs execute, and then it makes something like this, where we say, hey, look, turn on scan mode, just walk through your app, it makes it really nice for the end user. Man, it's so cool to, to learn about this stuff, and what I actually want to do now, I'm excited about this, we're going we're gonna to jump out of the studio now and actually head to Kelly's office, he's a PM here uh, on the team, and, and actually take a look at what these features look like in an everyday use case for an end user. So, so check this out. My name is Kelly Ford and I'm a program manager on the Windows accessibility team working on Narrator. So I'm just kind of checking out how uh, our homepage reads with Narrator in our scan mode. And one of the things I like to do is look for headings on a web page. It's a fairly common navigation technique. So I can hit H in scan mode. Heading level two featured products and stories. And that moves me to the different headings on the page. Heading level three for a limited time. Save up to 100. I can hit control to stop the speech if I want. So narrator lets me use these keys. If I want to um, speed this up now, because one of the nice things we've done, we've really sped up the TTS voice. Uh, And this is about how I would use my computer. So there, it said the same thing, featured products and stories. And now let's listen to that for a limited time. That probably sounds like gibberish, but once you get used to this, it's pretty quick. We've said, hey, we want to get to a point where we have a great screen reader. And so in Redstone, we took some of those first journeys by looking at some of the key features and uh, behaviors that our customers were asking for. And then we looked across the operating system and we said, hey, you know, what are some experiences that we're building and how can we start to take that and make it accessible across the board? Uh, one of the ones that intrigues me the most is a feature that we call auto-suggestions. Click down to change to suggestions view. Four, five. So I can type Click in down to change to my old home zip code. One suggestions. We've made that experience really light up so that across many applications when you're typing, whether it's weather, news, Cortana, or many others, uh, you're getting search suggestions. I hear there's one, one suggestion. I can just hit the down arrow. Font Dulac, one of one, selected. You'll notice the speech synthesizer does a pretty good job about pronouncing my hometown's name, Fond du Lac. Right, that might sound trivial, but why it intrigues me is because it's the first time that we're building that level of accessibility uh, into both our screen reader and our applications and really taking a look, a step back and saying, hey, what do we want the end user experience to be? And now what's the technology behind that that we have to build? The web, the weather application, and many more would all work the same way. So for both myself or our customers, there's less of a learning curve if you want to get started. Accessibility is a journey. Um, We're inventing new things here. For me, one of the amazing things even today after 15 years at Microsoft is how we're inventing new experiences. And some parts of accessibility are simple, and we have the answers today, and we know how to do those things. Uh, Other things we're still inventing, and we're thinking through, how do you make that accessible? I'm both a a customer, an engineer in Windows, you know, 
So I see both sides of it. I mean, we have things that work well for me and our customers, things that don't. But I think it's important for everybody to recognize it's a journey and just understand where you are on that journey and reach out to people and you know, your battery learn, is running low, left parent percent right parent and recognize button to activate press that Alt plus C. We'll always get better. All right, folks, check it out. That was just a taste, just the littlest sliver, just the tiniest tip of the iceberg of the cool stuff that's out there with Redstone. And you met just a couple of the thousands of people out there that are building new, innovative solutions uh, for, for us every single day. Uh, so, man, I hope you had fun. I'm Brian, your Fedora dude, the demo guy, and thank you so much for watching. There you go. That's the video. Uh, how would you like to have the moniker, the Fedora Dude? I, I collect hats, but I'm still just the first dude. So let me see how things are going elsewhere on here with our conference call. Alt-Tab, barrier, demo video, .mp4, dash one, alt-Tab, recall, ACP convention, dash message, left parent, HTML, right parent. Message, escape, barrier, demo video, .mp4, dash one, drive, dash internet, explorer, escape. Boot app page, narrator, demo video, date modified, sick. Escape. Now let me Old see. Alt app, inbox, there. dash Brian, dash outlook. Alt app, narrator, talk to ACP information access committee, dash meeting. Subject narrator, talk to ACP information access committee. Let's see if this is where it is. As I mentioned, we can use this phone nope. for us all to phone escape. Narrate escape. This was happening to me earlier. When I can't close a message in order to go back to the list view. So. I am going to have to close it and bring it back. So if anybody is there from Microsoft, I'm coming right back, I promise. Alt F4. Alt tab, inbox dash Brian So I'm going to unplug that so you don't have to listen to that on ACB radio. Um, what I want to ask you to do for me for a moment here while I get this queued up is to give some thought to what's happened in the access world of things. We've been talking about Windows, at Microsoft, Android, at Google, iOS, at Apple, uh, Voice, View, at Amazon. But we haven't talked about that other thing that's happened recently. VFO bought AI squared. Sounds like a mathematical formula, doesn't it? What does that mean to you and me? Does it mean anything? Should we be at all involved in a discussion on that subject? There's a lot of individuals out there who have been talking about whether or not that is a monopoly and something that the blindness community should attempt to block. There are also individuals out there who are saying, and people we've, we've grown to trust to some degree, um, who are saying this is going to allow this company to pool its resources in order to uh, up the game entirely. So, I have some thoughts on that. Why would VFO buy AI squared? Does VFO, that is, you know, the Freedom Scientific Optelec company combined, need a screen reader? No. Do they need a screen magnifier? So why did they buy a company that owns a screen reader and a screen magnifier? Because I think that they weren't the only thing that they had to keep them on top was Jaws. 
So now what keeps them on top? So you think they bought their competition in order to kill their competition? So there's some that think that what they're going to do is take the best of jaws and the best of window eyes and come up with something different. Or they can just kill one. Then they have Zoom text and they have magic. Which, which do you keep? Or do you build something that builds on the best of both? So I have an opinion, and I'd like other people to weigh in on this subject. Remember I said it was at the M Enabling Conference? And every one of the companies that spoke, and we're talking IBM, Microsoft, Adobe, Amazon, all of the companies that spoke had as part of their presentation, we're hiring in the access space. Remember this guy said, oh, well, in this screen reader space, right? That's geek speak for in this area, right? So in this space, they are hiring. One of the problems is there's not enough skill out there for people to go onesies, twosies, and find individuals and hire them over. Uh, so what they might have done, that is VFO, when they bought AI Squared, bought AI Squared's staff and bought in ma- you know, in a quantity they couldn't have spent enough HR dollars to find all these highly skilled people to work on their projects. So I think it was an acquisition of talent rather than product. What do you think? Well, Does that... It's interesting, I'm getting a certificate error here, so let me fix this one moment. that noise? Hear this noise? What does that tell you? System just rebooted. No, no. Bad things never happen with tech. 
Um, while that's happening, we thought we'd mention one project that um, both the Information Access Committee has been working on as well as the Audio Description Project is a survey to try to ascertain how many of our um, you know, uh, users here at ACB, how many people are enjoying audio description in, in sort of all of its forms. So what we did is we worked on a survey, which is now live, and I hope everyone in this room will take if you have not already done so. Uh, you can find the link in a lot of the, uh, the ACB leadership list. Uh, I saw it come out on the ACB Twitter account. I'm sure it's on the Facebook page. Um, I think it's on the website as well. So please go and take the survey. What it does is... Uh, it asks about your use of audio description in all of its forms. We've sort of broken into four components. Um, do you use audio description with broadcast and cable television? Do you use it with streaming devices such as uh, Netflix or Apple TV or something like that? Um, do you use it at the movie theaters and how does it work there? And also with DVDs. So, Please, if you have not already done so, please take that survey. I think it's going to be open until July 12th, 15th, maybe something like that. So if you can't do it here, um, please do it after you get back home. But we've already had about 150 people take the survey, which we're very pleased at, but we'd like to see a lot more. So please uh, make an effort to take the survey. It's very short, um, so please do that. Uh, you can find the link on the uh, ACB website, um, on the ACB Twitter feed, uh, or an email came out on the leadership list, so uh, probably your chapter may forward it out. Um, okay, great. So it's, it's been in lots of places, um, but please go ahead and take that survey. We'd really like to collect some information to use um, for future advocacy efforts and uh, obviously there are a lot of things happening with broadcast television um, in the next uh, few months even where they're talking about expanding the number of hours of, of broadcast um, described programming and it will be very helpful if we get some feedback from everybody about how much you're using it and all of that. So please take the survey. For those of you who don't may or may not know, there's already an NPRM right now to increase audio description from uh, 50 hours a quarter to 75 hours a quarter, and to increase it from four broadcast channels to five broadcast channels, and increase it from five cable providers to 10 cable providers. So um, hopefully that'll be supported and that'll happen soon. How are we doing, Brian? Uh, I can't tell whether the computer died or the connection died, so I'm working on it. Uh, uh, anybody know any good jokes? <laughs> so I actually had Theory tell me a joke the other day, and I normally wouldn't tell this joke, but since it's Theory Tech... So past, present, and future walk into a bar. It was tense.
typical tech business that I am. I'm now down on the floor by ACB radio because my laptop that reported five hours of power when we were started decided that now was a good time to lie to me. And it died for lack of power. And the nearest outlet is over at ACB radio for power. So that's why my voice is not coming from where you expect it to be coming from. I, I, I'm bringing it over to Brian. But hold on, I'm still goofy. You guys are supposed to ad lib. Come on, you two. I give two of you to keep from going for 10 minutes. Go for it. <coughs> Does anybody have any Q, uh, questions? Cards that we are getting. I think that the problem is that um, we, in the United States, we've only recently switched to the new chip cards. We previously were using ones with, that you had to swipe, you know, which didn't require PIN. And a lot of the new PIN-enabled cards that we're getting um, don't now require PIN either. But I have the same concern that, that you're talking about, that a lot of the uh, point-of-sale terminals, once they begin... To, to require the PIN in conjunction with the chipped cards, that that is going to be a real problem. Um, they, they could, not only are they coming into restaurants, but they're starting to creep into taxis now as well. Yes, yes. So I, I, I take it that at the moment ACB is not doing anything actively? I, I'm not sure. I ha we haven't really discussed it at the Information Access Committee, but I'm sure... Um, Probably Eric or, or some of the others would be better to answer that question.
Yeah, I, I, we have that. I've seen that like at Chili's and um, I think at, um, I think Red Lobster, uh, some of that company. Um, I recently saw it at Olive Garden, you know, where, uh, you know, right now they still allow you to go either way. You can just give your credit card to the salesperson, you know, the waitress or whatever, but I, that is concerning as well because I have not seen those devices um, have any access uh, built in. Yeah. I think there's a discussion later this week at a session here about um, medical accessibility, but I think that that is something that, again, is getting, you know, it's bad enough now you have to go up to the counter and, you know, have them ask you nine million questions in front of everyone else in the room, but because uh, uh, you can't fill out the form. But um, you know, I think that even when you can't even check in and tell them that, that you're there, it's, it's getting pretty bad. Anybody else with any questions? Repeat what now? I'm sorry. Well, narrator is is supposed to be uh, greatly enhanced and should be built in as part of the operating system uh, by January 1st. And I think that's what we're going to hear about if we can get Skype working again. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm not really, I'm on the committee, so I really can't answer some of the things that are probably being discussed at the uh, national level, but I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, now it's hard when you go into a Panera Bread, they have these kiosks, and they want you to order at the kiosks rather than go up to talk to a human being, but, uh, but at least they have a mobile app which you can use, which is uh, fairly accessible, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot more of this kind of stuff in the future. That's for sure. Yeah, we can add it to our um, things to look at. Yeah, skip the line. Yeah, yeah, the app works partially, but I agree with you, it's not as accessible as it should be. Well, it turns out that the, uh, the internet connectivity in this room just failed me also. Oh, so, no. combination of this, that, and the other thing. So the best I can do is to offer you this opportunity. When is Kelly going to be here? Tuesday. There will be a speaker from Microsoft on the general program. In addition, if you go to the bits suite, I shouldn't say, the bits program area, to have to take a look in the program when that 
where that is actually located, that he is going to be doing a full demo of narrator at that point and happy to answer any questions then. But he's also very willing to set up one-on-one experiences using narrator. Um, he told me he was only going to be available till four, and that's now all of eight minutes away. So I wanted to answer a question about the kiosks while I was over there with my nose inside my computer in the corner of the room over here. You had asked a question about kiosks. And again, are we talking about where you type in your PIN to finish your transaction? Or is it a kiosk where you do a full transaction with many other interactions? Both. So the PIN type ones where you're expected to to uh, type in a PIN, and of course they're flat screen, those are inaccessible, and in fact those are currently illegal for the most part. Um, and we have taken companies to through structured negotiation to deal with that. Anybody here ever use CVS drugstores, for example? They all used to have touchscreen System. So if you wanted to use your credit card and use it for, what is it, debit versus credit, where you have to put in your PIN? And they said, well, I could put it in for you. Just what I want to do is stand at a bargain basement store with three people behind me with their products, and I'm going to say to that person my PIN number? No way. So I leave my stuff on the counter and I leave. And then we filed a little complaint about them. And uh, Lainey Feingold, many of you know that name, uh, helped us. And we were able to get CVS to reverse itself and put in only accessible machines that require your PIN. Uh, The same thing is true at a number of other entities because they are accepting funds in a variety of different ways some of which are federal funds, right? When you go out and buy stuff on your Medicaid or Medicare, those kind of things, uh, that puts them into some legal obligation relative to accessibility. Precisely. Precisely. Is that 504? Say again? Is that section 504? That's 504, absolutely. And one of the problems we've had in this country is we've had 504 for a long time. I'm going to spew one more piece of Brian opinion, but it's something I've been saying to people for quite some time, and I hope someday somebody actually hears what it is. The biggest problem in the blindness community is we bitch to one another and not to the powers that be. We say, oh, it's not fair that this is happening. It's not right that that's happening. But we don't file complaints. Of all the different disability groups, the one that has the poorest history of filing complaints are those who are blind or visually impaired. Now, part of the reason for that is the complaint process itself isn't all that accessible. Okay? We acknowledge that. And then... Uh, and we've worked very hard with places like the DOJ and the like for you to be able to file complaints. I think about all the times we've done web searches in Google and we get 5,000 possibilities and we bring up the first one and it's not very accessible. What do we do? We go to the second one and then to the third and then to the fourth and we don't let the people who have 
website number one, two, or three know that we were there and had to leave because of its inaccessibility. We don't know the difference between complaining and whining. So, if we want change, we have to be willing to put in that extra effort to write the complaint, to file the complaint. And we've been doing that very successfully with ACB through structured negotiation. But there's, you almost have to have a degree in order to know all the different ways to do complaining. But the first thing you need to understand is that if it has to do with what happens in the air, who do you complain to? Yeah, don't complain to the Department of Justice. It's FAA. Absolutely. Some of this is not rocket science. Okay? If it has to do with inaccessible education, do you think colleges and universities are exempt from, ex from accessibility questions? And do you realize how poor online learning accessibility is in this country? And the number one reason that's allowed to continue you're so busy getting an education, you don't have time to stop and complain. You just find that reader to read the screen to you because the assignment is due. That kind of stuff. So we simply have to, as a community, decide that we need to take the time to complain, file complaints to the appropriate party, and we would get a lot more attention. So 504, been around a long time. It's only when we start complaining... It depends on what, what thing you're trying to argue. Is it ADA? Is it 508? Is it 504? Is it CVAA? Is it, you know, there's a lot of regs out there. But you can bet that if you're being blocked from finishing a transaction that involves the exchange of money, yours for their product or service, that there's a way to complain for that. If you don't know which place to complain, you can contact the ACB National Office. They're experts on where to send the complaints to. By the way, we're going to be doing a joint thing with the AFB here, dealing with complaining, because there are these things, NPRMs, Notification of Proposed Rules, right? And we need to let them know when we're unhappy with things. We have an opportunity to dramatically expand the availability of accessible television, And we, ACB, we have already filed comments, and we're going to get an opportunity to read the comments of industry, who no doubt will have a different point of view than we do, and we'll have an opportunity to comment on those. And we do work with other entities, like I said, with AFB and others, to file joint comments. Now, we're not filing joint comments because, quite honestly, that's more effective we're filing joint comments because for every one person we have working with doing that, they've got 20. We can't spread ourselves out that well. So we join together so that AFB will write the first draft and ACB will help edit it or vice versa, and then we file it jointly. But what we really need is for you and you and you and you to file as well because D.C. is filled with bean counters. And they're going to say, we got one filing from consumers indicating XYZ. And we got 70 filings from industry saying the opposite. So does one outweigh 70? 
that requires some faith in the system, doesn't it? So what we want to get is 70 filings from consumers, not one. A joint one is a good thing, but we need you to individually say what audio description means to you, or we won't win the battle to more than double the number of hours, which is our goal. And to find a way to turn on and off audio description independently. Something we lost when things went digital. And we lost our SAP button. Right? So, I apologize that I wasn't able to get to Kelly here, but you know you have access to him later in the week. I appreciate everybody coming this afternoon. You had other things to do with your time. And I beg you, on, in behalf of this committee, to watch what we're doing there. Let us know if we're letting you down. You can complain to us. We're not doing the things you need us to do or want us to do. We don't know less than you tell us. We're, we're big boys and girls. We can take it. And if you have a skill set... If you want to communicate to any ACB committee, the best way is to contact the chair. And all of us have our emails listed on the ACB website. For me in particular, it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Charlson, C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N at Carol, C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot O-R-G. That's my employer. I don't know how you people have 12 email accounts and try to keep up with 12 separate email accounts do it. I suffer from a bit of the uh, uh, the next president of the United States' problem with um, keeping email separate. Uh, <laughs> actually, the difference is that we can admit that you're using your work email. There you go. So, anyway, any last-minute questions? Gary has a question, then one other person. Gary? Yeah, so I uh, switched from, I used the ATP, or so I switched so that I could use the uh, Comcast uh, uh, X1 DVR. And, right. And then able to uh, talk to the computer, like, and try to figure out what channel uh, our CBS is. All I just say is, watch CBS. Yes, voice activated set top box kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, but, but now I, I checked uh, U-verse now has some audio description, but as far as I know, they don't have an automated set top box. And again, all of the companies that, all of the major companies, the Verizons, the Charters, they, um, Name some other ones, Carl. Warner Brothers, RCN. These companies are the biggies, and come the January 1 again, right? You're going to... A number of these laws, people act as if... I'm talking about industry, acts as if they just wish they'd go away, they would. They ain't going away, and neither is ACB. The minute that we hit that deadline and they don't have it done, we file the complaints in your name and say that they violated the law, we expect our government to prosecute them and to hold them liable for what they do or don't do. 
We fought hard for the law. Um, you guys know the name um, Senator Ed Markey? Okay. So he was one of the keynoters at this M enabling conference. And after he spoke, you know how politicians do, they race out of the room before you can talk to them. So his handler raced him out of the room and he, he didn't quite get away from us. And uh, I got, uh, because I'd been working with him, because he's my home district uh, congressman back in the day and now senator. So I was standing in a group of about 40 people uh, surrounding them as they were taking pictures and all that kind of stuff just to get a chance to say hello. And so he gets, and he's setting up with the uh, chair of this particular conference, getting pictures taken and all that kind of stuff. And he spies me in the audience. And he says, wait a minute. Stops everything, runs over to me, gives me a big haircut, uh, haircut, a big bear hug. What is a haircut and a bear hug? Anyway, a big bear hug and says, these are the people that are making things happen. So don't doubt for a moment that that he is going to see those complaints come January 1 if they don't do what they're supposed to do. He wrote the law. He passed, got the law passed with our help. And now he's very, very committed to making sure that it's implemented in its entirety. Okay, we'll let everybody go. Have a good one. Thanks for coming.